leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Uh, today we have another amazing guest with us, uh, Jeff Barron. He's going to share his journey coming from an event promoter uh, to offensive security. So this is definitely an interesting story. So let's bring Jeff on the stage and he could share more about your background. Uh, so why event promoting? Let's talk about that. Sure. I mean, a long time ago you have to go back to the 90s rave scene it's a very iconic part of our, our history really if you if you've ever seen like the jinkos and pictures of that time very different time right a lot of fun um so when i first went to one my very first one i thought i want to do one of these i want to put one of these events together i think i was 18 19 years old and so i did and um i got really heavily involved in that scene and it was a lot of fun Okay. And and then so your indie event promoter scene, like mm -hmm. how how did you transition to cybersecurity? Did you like technology? Like what I aspect of that? Sure, sure. I always had, honestly. Um I I started coding when I was nine years old. Okay. Um I mean very basic stuff. Literally mm -hmm. Applesoft basic. Um, you know, like you know, print I am cool, go to ten, that kind of stuff. Really simple stuff. Then later I got into the ANSI art scene when I was about fourteen or fifteen. Um, I don't know if you know what the NCR scene is or no, no. Share, share that for the audience. So um, there's groups like Acid, um, Ice, uh, Chaos, Relic. These are all groups that made ANSI art for bulletin board systems, uh, okay. menus. Uh, when you oh, log ANSI. in, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also you, they would do a kind of, uh, you've seen like crack throws and intros where it's music, mm -hmm. a little scrolling thing on the bottom, and then a little image. A lot mm -hmm. of that kind of stuff too is done. And so oh, that nice. was like a whole separate subculture. But yeah, I've been interested in uh, tech my entire life, uh, especially coding. Okay. So, uh, so I think that kind of was in the background throughout this whole thing. Interesting. Interesting. Um, did you create any notable um, ASCII art that we we, we know <laughs> or we might recognize? Um, if you go to textfiles.com, mm -hmm. uh, if you look for the Atomic Art Pack of 1993, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's an ANSI art viewer written by 
Oh, you have to run it in DOSBox, by the way. That's how old it is. But it's written by somebody named Mindwarp, and that was mm -hmm. me. Oh, okay, okay. Well, so definitely. Yeah. Definitely yeah, go sure check, check that out. out. <laughs> So as we start to, to welcome individuals um, onto the stream, we're streaming live on mm -hmm. Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. If you are on LinkedIn, make sure you, um, that you follow myself, you follow Jeff Barron, as well as all the other amazing guests that we have. If you're joining us from YouTube, make sure you hit subscribe, hit that notification button. That way, uh, next time we pop up, you get that notification. And um, we have our first guest comment from today. Um, from Christopher Frazier. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Chris. Thank you for the stream. So let's get into this. Um, I'm glad to have so you, man. What, what, um, what made you want to move away from the event promotion scene? Well, uh, by the time I turned 25 or so, so when you're in this, yeah, so basically, <laughs> yes. so it, can, it, can, it can be kind of strange to live your life at nightclubs. And so mm. when you're promoting, especially back then, no social media, no cell phones. So you're putting flyers in people's hands. You're in parking lots every single night, almost every single night. Um, you might get some days during the week off, but every weekend you're working. You're working really long hours. I was completely nocturnal back then. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. I'd wake up at, you know, five or six. Of, well, I mean, I'd go to sleep at five or six in the morning. You know, I'd wake up, uh, you know, three o'clock that day and do it all over again. So it's kind of it's hard to sustain that, especially when you meet somebody who already has children and you think maybe. This isn't uh, conducive for you know the next phase of my life, which was uh, raising my my stepdaughters. It they would turn out to be. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be at the club all night and figure out that I could make a move into something else. So it was more family friendly. Absolutely, that that totally makes sense. So what did you move into next? I um well I went went into IT. Um, okay. I did a lot of PC repair. Um, I was a field service technician for many years, where I'd come to your home. You know, basically reboot your router for you or <laughs> install Wi-Fi or do network drops, that kind of stuff. Okay. And I did that, did that for quite a few years. And was was that the shift before you went to security? Um, it, was, it was not, actually. Um, okay. I mean, I did that a little bit, but it, I really didn't love it. You know, it was um, a lot of driving. I don't like driving at all. Um, mm -hmm. So what I had been into and I, what I thought I wanted to do most of my life was be a game developer. And so I, I met some friends um, on SourceForge, and they had this open source project called Snowballs, which, cool enough, you can still app get install this uh, this project. It still runs. Oh, nice. uh, it's in all the it's all the it's in all the repositories and Ubuntu and er everywhere else. Um, yeah, I did hundreds of thousands of downloads. So that's kind of cool. Um, but I met this team, and we worked together on this project, and it was really fun. And so I thought, well, and one of the guys also on the team, we decided to create a business together. And uh, that business, but you know, we, we started developing that, and that's what I had done the prior six years before I came into uh, cybersecurity, which I've been in almost three years now. Okay. So an another quick question from from the audience. Uh, Jeff is asking, "What your background in coding? What are some of the new platforms that you recommend to learn for coding? Uh, for example, W three School or uh, any any other recommendations for those looking to come from the coding side?" <clears throat> that's a great question. Uh, Here's the thing, if if you can learn, uh, you could. Like C is not a fun language, depending on what you're doing. It can be fun, but um, I would you absolutely uh, you would absolutely should learn Python, no matter where you, where you learn it or what for. Uh, there's a free online book called uh, Automate the Boring Stuff with Python. It's really a lot of fun. Um, I would definitely look into that. There's tons of resources online. Get Python. That's kind of going to be your glue 
for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to understand exploit development and that get into that kind of jam, it's really crucial to understand how stacks and heaps work. And you can learn that by just doing like a couple week t- uh, tutorial on C coding, learn how to compile, learn, learn what, what does that mean? Um, there's, and there's, you know, a ton, a ton of sources online for that stuff. You don't have to pay for any of it, but that this is like, this is not new material. Yeah. And uh, it would really, it really will help you understand though, like, well, what is a buffer overflow? And what does that even mean? Right? Mm-hmm. Like what's a buffer? And you can answer those questions that'll put you ahead of 99% of the other people out there. Absolutely. And um, so you're doing, you're doing your IT work. Uh, you mentioned there's a lot of driving. Um, right. for, those, for those that are in IT right now, except for the driving, um, what are some of the transferable skills that you learned that um, either drove your passion to cybersecurity or made you really want to transition? And how are you utilizing them now? Well, one thing is just being a solid system administrator is going to help you and no, no matter what you do in cybersecurity. Uh, just, just having a passion of learning, even in IT and cybersecurity together, uh, this is, these are fields where you have to learn all the time, just consistent learning all the time. And there's always going to be something new and you got to adapt to that. But what happens though is after you start learning, you, you, you see there's like there's patterns, right? There's ways of thinking, ways of problem solving that kind of go across into game dev, IT, and cybersecurity. And it's these patterns that you'll start seeing more and more and more as you develop as a professional. And that that's what those are the transferable skills, whether it's uh was understanding how networks tend to work or like the new the new hotness, you know, cloud, whatever, like you see, that seems weird. You know it seems weird because you saw like the old product 20 years ago and that seemed <laughs> weird too. And it's actually the same bug because everything's new again, right? Absolutely. What what is old? What what is old is new again. So right. Um, I mean, I, I was going to say for for someone that's been on the scene so long, what are some of those examples that like um, you remember from back in the day, and you're still here today? So when I was a kid, um, there there weren't passwords on on many um, machines. Like most universities were totally okay with you using the system as long as you didn't mess it up. They are totally fine with it. The assistant man will tell you it's totally fine. You can use it, just don't break anything. And they mm-hmm. and but these systems were like these massively shared systems, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you could you could just you could log into them and maybe telnet here, maybe you know, maybe check out IRC that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every when every, everything changed and everybody had personal computers. And now we're back to this cloud model. And I swear I wouldn't be surprised if things go back to on-prem again. Like I w- that would not shock me, or some kind uh, of some kind of hybrid. <laughs> I, I could tell you that um, companies, startup companies, tend to start in the cloud, but then, for example, take Netflix. Uh, they mm-hmm. scaled so large that they they ended up bringing it back on-prem. Um, right. So just, I really it, think it depends on your business model. So yeah, um, sure. So with regards to your, your your transition into cybersecurity, like what was that like? What made you want to go into cybersecurity? So it's kind of a personal story. I guess mm-hmm. that's why I'm here. Um, Absolutely. My, my, my indie game dev business, I, okay, let me just say it straight. I was terrible at indie game dev. Like God awful. I, I, there's this one game, you can Google it right now, Steel Storm Ammo. I think it's like a 50 something on Metacritic. It, it was that bad. But the thing is you, you have to work so long just to get something and and then for it to to fail, it can be very disheartening. Um, to and you, you really have to work hard at this stuff. 
Um, but my business failed. And so I was looking at, oh, what should I do now? And I've been interested in, in you know, cybersecurity and, and, and things of that nature for, for, you know, most of my entire life. Um, I, I used to organize 2,600 meetings when I was 12. Actually, the last meeting I went to was when I, the one I was at when I was 12, Tanglewood Mall, Roanoke, Virginia, if anybody out there remembers that one anyhow um cybersecurity lost my train of thought what you got you into cybersecurity um your business failed so right, right, right. So business fa cool so business failed and i happened to look at this newspaper and there's an, an ad for a cybersecurity degree program at a, my local university and i was like well i didn't even have that program mm -hmm. and so i went and I, I went up there and talked to them and it seemed pretty cool I was like, I can knock this out in like two years and be done and, you know, just see what, see what happens. And so I did. And so I went there and I started talking to people. I started telling the professors and stuff. A lot of them really weren't that um, well-versed in, in things, except for, except for one man who really seemed to know his stuff. Um, he was a big influence on me. And what really helped me, though, was joining the extracurricular groups. There's a group uh, called AITP here in, here in Atlanta. And um, I joined that group and started meeting people there, other students. And I met this one student um, who told me about B-Sides. And I had never heard of B-Sides before. And so I went to B-Sides and that's how I actually met uh, the company I work for now. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> B-Sides is a wonderful organization. I. I, I always felt like I wasn't good enough to be in cybersecurity. I think that's what kept me from it for so long. Mm -hmm. Like I, I always felt like I wasn't smart enough, wasn't good enough. Like these guys are like way smarter, way, you know, I'll never be able to be successful in this field. But I was like, you know what, I'll just give it a shot, you know, start putting my feet in, see what happens, start talking to people. And I didn't realize how friendly, besides especially, I can't say enough about them. They, the people there were so insane, insanely friendly, so incredibly great. And I started meeting people, and I was like, "Well, heck, maybe maybe they'll let me <laughs> let me stay around, you know." Mm -hmm. And I, I met a, met a lot of folks there, including my current boss, uh, who who would eventually hire me. But at the time, I had no idea that would ever happen. I, I just I saw their their uh, demo and I shook their hands. I'm like, man, these guys are cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about that transition. So, mm -hmm. um, you you did the the, the school. What was it mm -hmm. a boot camp? What what was it really? No. It was a little two-year associate's degree program. Okay. Yeah. And was it, would you say it was hands-on, more theoretical? How uh, did no, you read that? It was definitely hands-on. Uh, we we uh, put Cali on, on Raspberry Pis. We popped Wi-Fi. It was actually pretty cool. Okay. Okay. So you finished that two-year program. Um, mm -hmm. Did you start applying while you were in the program, or did, did you wait I, until? I did. Um, I ended up applying to uh, several places that, only people I heard back from at, fir uh, at first was a recruiter for uh, for SecureWorks, mm -hmm. and I, I did a couple of video interviews with them. But by the time they wanted me to come in for a net, for like a final interview, I had already been hired at my current my current company. Okay, well, this question from the audience um, mm -hmm. kind of lends to that. What was the most challenging issue that you you faced when you were trying to get your first job as a pen tester? Well, so my so uh, that's a that's a that's a tough question. It's really hard. So for me, I started I started at this company as a security analyst. I was mm -hmm. watching dashboards, you know, uh, alerting clients that that sort of thing. But they had a they had an offensive security team in place already, and so mm -hmm. I was talking to those guys, and they also knew that that was my my dream. That was my dream job, and so so I made that very loud. And 
on, on the side, like I'm practicing, you know, vulnerable, vulnerable VMs, hack the box, try hack me. These are great resources that will teach you how to do it. I mean, the basic process is, is pretty simple. When you actually get in the job, it's actually a lot different than you might think. But um, how so? So the basic job of pen testing, right, is you, you find that you find the service. Is it vulnerable? Yes. Exploit it. Go from there. Um, but the value you bring to clients is is this report, this massively long report that they don't tell you about, you know, when hackers are cool, you know, um, talks and stuff. You have this massively long report with screenshots. It has to be very detailed because that's the only value you're really giving them. The company, the client doesn't care if you popped a shell on them. They care about how to fix their environment and what are the true problems there. And are there problems that don't even involve exploits? Like I saw, I had a client that had, um, 30 domain administrators. That, that's that's a really big problem, but you're not going to find that with any scans or anything. You have to actually mm -hmm. you have to um, penetrate the network and then start looking at well, who are the domain admins so I can steal their credentials. You're like, oh, <laughs> gosh, they have 30 of them. Well, this is going to be a lot easier. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so l let's talk about that. So um, you mentioned you're doing like hack the box. You you're doing things extracurricular. So that's one of right. the things that we always talk about. Like you get your foot in the door one way and then you do things that show why you're a value. Um, how hard was it to transition from uh, that analyst role um, to the to the pen testing role within that organization? And this one, it was actually fairly easy. Um, I, I just, I would, I would volunteer, like, hey, I, would, I would ask a lot of questions. I would ask my, you know, my coworkers who are doing, you know, my, my role now, I was like, well, what tools do you use? So like, or why did you do this that way? I would read the reports that they would send to clients. Like, hey, is it okay if I read this report? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. And I'd read the report and and see like, well, what does this finding even mean? Like, what does this <laughs> even mean, right? And um, and because we we always have recommendations and all the all the findings as well. And so I would ask I would ask people like, well, why did you recommend this instead of that? I, I asked a bunch of questions. Mm -hmm. That's what key is communicating, talking, and learning. Uh, people mm -hmm. will tell you. Uh, it's not, this is only, a lot of people think like being a pen tester is some, you know, unattainable goal or some magic. You got it like you're a wizard or something. It's not true. It, you, it's very teachable. You, anybody can learn it. it. It just takes time and persistence. I would say persistence is the number one key to, to getting this role. Okay. Okay. So um, you, you had a lot of persistence. You asked a lot of questions. Um, when you first got into the role, you mentioned that um, it wasn't like, you've experienced it in the hack the box, the other things like, right. um, how, how, diff how different is it in real life versus some of the games or are the games maybe similar to real life minus all the detail reporting that you have to do? The games are similar. Um, funny enough, in some aspects, the games are harder, sadly, than real life. <laughs> I, you know, cause they really are. A lot of the, C I, a lot of, you know, Pentester will call something CTFE. Um, there's a very famous certification, uh, the OSCP. A lot of a lot of uh, professional pen testers complain that it's, it feels too much like a CTF versus the real world. Whereas in the real world, you have no limits on the tools you can use or the attacks you can employ. Mm -hmm. um, there there are those for that certification. Uh, so the the vulnerable vulnerable VMs and the hack the boxes and stuff, they tend to be focused on one specific task, but they tend to be more like a puzzle than what you're traditionally going to find. Like default configurations. Um, I mean, there'll be, there might be, but it might be that. It might be, 
you got to, once you get inside, you have to escalate privileges by, you know, uh, grepping through every text file, you know, on, on the Linux box and uh, finding that, you know, finding that like, random SSH key that somebody, you know, forgot about. Um, that typically is not my experience. I, I've never, I've never seen, sadly, a, a Linux box that I've been able to pop. I, I had a Raspberry Pi that some, uh, somebody was running uh, a Pi hole, the, the DNS uh, uh, software oh, nice. on. And I tried popping it, but I didn't. And like the the one, the other exploit that I had that I didn't try, I was like, I feel like a real jerk if I crash this guy's pile. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that that's actually another thing about uh, pen testing is uh, the discipline you have to have. Like it's with the CTF and with vulnerable VMs, uh, it, you have this rush of awesome, like you know, I solved the puzzle, and you get that dopamine head up. I figured it out. But you have to be careful with that because you don't. When you're fi live firing exploits at a client, you don't want to disrupt their business and cause you know you don't want to be basically the ransomware folk, right? Exactly. You don't wanna, exactly. You don't want to disrupt their business because you can cost them a lot of money, and it's all it'll be all your fault too, by the way. So, so you, one of the the, the question, one one of the sure. comments mentioned from um, Mufasa, you're the wizard, Jeff. Um, Hagrid <laughs> whispered. Um, one of the other questions is with all the learning you had, um, one thing you wish that was actually thought for the jobs or career for cybersecurity, um, for example, how to write a report, what, what else would you say um, would be one thing that you wish that your program taught you? I feel like the program was really lacking on Linux. I, I can't emphasize this enough. You have to know Linux backwards and forwards. There's a great um, online resource called Over the Wire, overthewire.com. You can go over, the, over there. And the, by the way, like those those puzzles get really tough, but it kind of gets you in the mindset if you haven't used Linux before, if you're trying to, you know, get used to the commands and stuff. Actually, our intern here is uh, currently tasked with uh, those Over the Wire okay. uh, challenges. So I think that's a great way to learn it. But Linux, you have to know it. Um, just live in it. Uh, that's what uh, that's what I would recommend. It just Quit Windows altogether. You'll have to learn Windows again, but it'll be from the command line. Um, I mean, there's a ton of resources out there, but what's the one thing? I wish I, I wish I had known, or wish somebody had simply told me, "You're good enough. You can do this. There's a path. There's a you can. It's, this is learnable. You can study it. it. It's out there. You just you just um, if you have questions, ask them. Mm -hmm. That that's it. I wish somebody had told me just just speak up and ask somebody. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things you mentioned earlier was OSCP and certifications. Mm -hmm. um, in your associate's program, did did you get any certifications as part of that process, or no, did I, did you get any individually before you got your first role? I um yeah I I already had a, a some CompTIA certifications uh, SEC plus Net plus A plus Project plus um, and I, I have I have Microsoft certifications going back you know twenty uh, before this millennium. So, <laughs> uh, but I mean it's it, it, they're not they're not actually transferable at all. They're like Windows like Windows NT. It's not really a. I don't. Hopefully, really, it's not a thing these days. <laughs> that's another thing. If you find something, so recently I found a Windows two thousand box on a on a client's network, and I, there was like ten different ways I could have popped it, but I didn't pop it. Do you know why? I, I figure there's got to be a good reason they have this Windows 2000 box in this network that's otherwise okay. Mm -hmm. um, when I it? when I talked to a client later, it turned out it was some kind of uh, command and control for some like very serious, 
you know, um, I, I don't think it was some SCADA system, but some something you know along those lines. Uh, something yeah. that would have been really bad had it you know had it crash because I wanted to get the shell. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would be pretty bad. So well, yeah. let's 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 talk about that. Um, when trying to when you're in your 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 pen testing roles, how do you think about like the business impacts of what you're trying to do um, to create that report to show their vulnerabilities and assessing whether it's worth going down that route to show them the risk versus saying, hey, this is a potential vulnerability that you had, but I didn't want to exploit it for these reasons and then still being able to sell that as a risk to the organization. Right, so, so what I do is I, I will test for the vulnerability and, and, and if I believe that, and wait, so let me backtrack. If I find the, a vulnerability and I, it's, not, it's one that I'm used to and I'm familiar with that, you know, I've already, I already know what the OS is, I already know, you know, all that, then yeah, maybe I exploit it. But if, if it, I'm not, to, if I have any blanks, if I'm not sure, if I'm not familiar with the particular exploit, if I don't, or if I look at the, you know, the POC code that I grab off GitHub and I'm not quite sure what that Python code's trying to do, I'm not going to fire it, but I will report it as a finding. I just will put in my report. It's like I did not feel comfortable um, running this exploit because I didn't want to disrupt the business. Um, and I think that's important. It, it, what, what matters is fixing those vulnerabilities more than me like feeling like I'm cool for you know popping a Windows 2000 box of the 19 year old exploit, right? Um, it, it's kind of, but it, it's kind of something. Um, it's, it's an art, like it, you, and you make a judgment, and you have, you have to stand by it. You have to you have to take total ownership of those of those judgments. So one of the questions from the audience members is: In your interview process, I hear a lot of people stumbling on technical questions. What kind of breadth or depth of questions came up in the security analyst role and or in uh, looking to transfer over? Okay, so I say for a security analysts, what we're really looking for is people that know um, like network class, like basic networking. You don't have to be a CCNA, but you should know what a VLAN is. Um, even if you don't, we, you might still be all right. Um, as far as the technical questions go, it's going to be basic networking. Do you understand IP addresses? Do you understand an internal environment versus an external environment? Um, do you know a firewall is? Pretty basic questions. That so, so we know that when you're looking at these reports, you'll understand, you know, what what they mean and what could be bad. There's a lot of on-the-job training. Well, that, I, and I imagine it's that way with any company because you know there's so many vendors out there, so many different products. Um, I can tell you, you're gonna be looking at a lot of dashboards, a lot of reports. That that's 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 for sure. But um, yeah, basic networking, uh, basic sysadmin. But yeah, I would say uh, like networking most of all will will help you understand everything else. Okay. Um, this is an interesting question, question from Christopher. Do you have any recommendations for books to learn more the business lingo so you don't sound too technical? Honestly, I wish I did. And if you find some, send them my way because it's, it's something I truly struggle with, translating tech talk into business speak. It's something I've really been trying to work on lately. I've been reading um, reading like leadership books. I just transitioned to a management role. It was not in management before at all. And so I'm trying to read leadership books, uh, but this awesome book called Extreme Ownership. I think it's a cool book for everybody. It's kind of an entertaining book. Um, it's, yeah, but it, it, he's identified correctly. One of the hardest problems in cybersecurity is how to make the how to make business people understand 
the risk and understand the value of paying all this money for cybersecurity. It really is an, an investment in your, in, your, in your protection of yourself. You know, it's, it, it's expensive to, to have a defense, but you have to have one. And um, yeah, I, I have some system. recommendations there. Um, so look at um, a book list called a cybersecurity canon book list, and okay. you, you'll find some from um, Kevin Mitnick and other people like that. But you also find like um, the other known cybersecurity professionals that write cybersecurity for general public, and oh, okay. you'll read it and find that it's too easy for you but they translate the technical terms for everyone in a very easy way. So in reading those oh, wow. books, um, you can understand like what I did a lot. And mm -hmm. I have a whole book list of like understanding um, information security from like the CIA operators and how they mm -hmm. translated what they did or the, the history in different like attacks. And they write it for non-technical people to understand how those events go. So by reading it from that perspective, you can go, oh, well, I, I understand how it works in the back end, but here's how it was translated into plain English, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, that might so be one approach. I, I will definitely look into that because that, that's one of my, my current challenges right now is, is, is that very thing. And like, so, yeah, like anybody who can conquer that challenge, they're going to go really far in this business. Absolutely. Um, so you're, you're one, I, I hate to ask this question in this way, but it's something okay. that we talk about on uh, CISO Thursday, uh, past couple of weeks. Um, you're, you, you did a mid-career transition into cy yes. cybersecurity. Do you feel that you faced um, ageism or you experienced ageism in the industry? And how would you tackle, how would you recommend individuals that might have might be looking to do such a transition uh, to tackle so, anything that you might have experienced close to that. Right. So I, I would say that's definitely out there. Um, I, I know my own insecurities may, may be, uh, maybe sometimes see it was there when it maybe it ha wasn't been. And sometimes you'll hear jokes and stuff um, from, from people talking and they, they mean it politely, I guess. But if you're a little bit older, you might take, it might rub you the wrong way. Um, just, I would say just have a thick skin and go for it. I mean, what's the alternative? I, it didn't. It didn't hinder me at all, and I don't think it'll hinder you. Um, I certainly would not look at age as a barrier um, for working for me ever. Um, but I, I do understand that that in the tech business, it it, it can be very common. But and, I, I would I would say go for it. Okay. Um, in your day job, you're you're a director, so you're one of more, one of the more senior people that we mm -hmm. we've had on the show, minus some of the CISOs on CISO Thursdays. Um, as you're looking to hire the next generation of those individuals looking to break in, or anyone looking to transition in, what do you look for when you hire individuals? A willingness to learn, passion. I want to see somebody who's passionate about this, and I'll see somebody that that has a willingness to learn, who will if I say, hey. I have 20 people on Twitter. I need you to follow. They will do it. You know, I, I, that's that's the kind of commitment that I'm really looking for. Because if you'll just listen, like I can put you on a path and get you to where you want to go. But and and that path, it, it's not like I'm micromanaging at all. But it's there's there's a lot of stuff that's outside of the job, like Twitter. You need to follow like all these people. You not you got to know who Durkin is, and maybe have a notification when he sends out a tweet because that guy, that researcher is amazing. And there's a, a, you know, a ton of other amazing researchers that you need to be following. Um, as far as other things, I, 
I would encourage them to, you know, volunteer work as far as cybersecurity goes. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff in, in that regard. So I personally volunteer for a group called the CTI League. Really great group. Really good people there. Okay, perfect. Um, well, we're we're over our half hour mark, but I, I just okay. wanted to continue the conversation because it was so juicy. Um, sure. The last question I typically ask is if you had to summarize everything that you experienced and uh, what you went through as one piece of uh, advice for those looking to follow in your footsteps, what would that be? One piece of advice. Never stop learning and never give up. Just never stop learning. Keep learning, learn everything, read everything, why not? I, I had a lot of free time and during my, during my the, the transition between indie game dev and going, going back to school. And I just read everything all the time. And you know, somebody, I dropped out of college uh, to pursue my, my rape promotion stuff. And I always felt less than. I always felt like I was dumber than everybody else because I dropped out of college. So I always, every chance I could, I read everything I could find. Always. Uh, on all subjects, too. By the way, um, to, be, to be like really good at cybersecurity, you don't necessarily need a computer. Like, you need that computer science background. I would say IT background. But there's a lot of stuff like philosophy and the social sciences that could be extremely helpful with, with, the, with what the issues we deal with every day. Absolutely. And thank, so thank you fun. so much for that. Um, I, I personally believe in CICD, um, and that is continuous sure. learning, continuous development. Um, I myself always uh, promote that. Um, thank you so much for your time. Those individuals following us on LinkedIn, ensure you follow Jeff, ensure, ensure you follow me, our other co-hosts, our other guests. Um, if you're following us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification button. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, don't forget to share with others. That's how we could get more diverse individuals into this, into this field. We need diversity of thought, diversity of experience, and diversity of background. Um, we're not just talking gender. We're not just talking skin color. We're talking everything. We need diversity of everything in this field. So share with as many people as you like. Um, get them all coming in. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.